the Pharisees were at it again. The religious experts of the law who were preoccupied with traditions, legal interpretations, and ritual purity. In Luke chapter 16, we find them listening to Jesus and ridiculing his words. Jesus turns his attention to them, and in typical Jesus fashion, he begins to tell them a parable, an earthly story with heavenly significance. I invite you to imagine with me the reactions of the Pharisees as they listened. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Now the Pharisees were probably talking amongst themselves, thinking, hmm, a rich man. We like the story so far. 20, and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. Unusual. Why is the poor man given a name and the rich man remains anonymous? And not only that, why is the poor man called Lazarus, Lazarus, which means God helps? Hmm. They continue to listen. 21. And longing to be fed with crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Unclean. And who cares about this poor man anyway? 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and was buried. That we, we understand. He was rich. He had the money for a proper burial. What we don't understand, I can imagine the Pharisees thinking or saying amongst themselves, is why, this, why is this poor man going to Abraham's bosom, paradise, the place of comfort? Death, by the way, was the only thing that Lazarus and this rich man had in common. 23. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. 24. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. Their eyes probably widened in shock. How dare Jesus say these things? The rich man is in Hades begging Lazarus, who was the beggar? What manner of story is this? 25. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you received your good things 
and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. This doesn't make any sense. 26. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. Gulf, I can imagine the Pharisees thinking. This means that the situation is fixed. There is no changing it now. 27. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. A reasonable request. 28. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What? Father Abraham isn't listening to this rich man's reasonable request. 30. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. 31. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. It's safe for us to say that these Pharisees did not like this parable. Before sharing the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16 verses 14 and 15 tells us, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all this and they ridiculed him. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. Through the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus was showing them, teaching them, this is how the rich man spent his time. This was how he lived and it ultimately had a tragic ending. The rich man did not live with the end in mind. This parable was a warning to the listeners then and for us today that we are to beware of three loves, the love of money, the love of self, and the love of the world. The rich man in this parable had a deep love for money. Jesus, hear this, was not saying that to be rich means that you are doomed and you have no hope. He meant that the way the rich man used his money revealed who his God really was. His God was not the creator and the savior, but rather money. He worshiped a man-made creation 
more than the Creator. His money now gave him the ability to buy the best attire, eat the best food, and live in a large house with a gate. And there was nothing wrong with this. It is what he did with these resources that was the problem. Now, I have to mention here that just because a person is rich, it doesn't mean that they are unrighteous. And just because a person is poor financially, it does not mean that he or she is righteous. It is the condition of one's heart that matters. Now take, for example, a story of a man named Greg. And if your name is Greg, I apologize in advance. I needed a name. So Greg was known by his neighbors and coworkers to be obnoxious and unkind. He was the type of neighbor that would leave mean notes on your doorstep, criticizing your house, your yard, or even your children. He was the type of coworker that ate your lunch out of the refrigerator and then lied about it. And he took credit for others' work. No one really liked Greg. When he walked into a room in the office, it was as if a dark cloud descended. He was unkind and obnoxious. So one day, Greg receives a phone call, and it's from the attorney of his uncle's estate. And the attorney says to him, Greg, great news, your uncle has passed away, and he has left you $50 million. Greg jumps with joy. This changes things. This changes Greg. Obnoxious and unkind Greg now becomes obnoxious and unkind Greg with $50 million. Being poor does not automatically make someone noble or humble. However, the warning in this text is especially for those who have some type of financial means. These Pharisees did not want Jesus or anyone telling them what to do with their money. It was theirs. But the message was clear. How you spend your resources matters. The rich man had so much, yet he did not want to share. Jesus was saying, it matters, your money matters, and what you do with it matters, because it reveals your priorities. Now, I know it's easy for some of us today to think, well, I worked for my money. I put in 100, 100 hours a week I sacrifice, I go nights without sleep to earn my money. It is mine and no one else's. And those poor people, well, they're poor because they're lazy. Here's the thing. When we profess to be followers of Christ, according to this parable, 
we are acknowledging an obligation to be our brothers and sisters keepers. And this is revealed to us through the life and teachings of Jesus. The rich man had the best of everything. Today, we often place value on people based on their status and titles. And we ascribe worth based on their financial capacity. This person is good because she has two businesses, a big house, and dresses impeccably. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, it says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God looks at our heart and our relationship to money, and the way we spend it reveals our priorities and answers the question, who is your God? Next, the parable reveals the rich man's love of self during his lifetime. His concern was for his physical gratification, wants, and needs. He had a roof over his head and everything he wanted. This man was so self-absorbed that even after he dies, he believes that he can tell Lazarus what to do that Lazarus is at his beck and call, bring water, go to my brothers. Notice that during their life, the rich man doesn't do anything directly to Lazarus. He doesn't spit at him, curse at him, or abuse him. What did he do? He ignored him. He ignored Lazarus's condition and pain. Lazarus sat at his gate while the rich man lived in selfish luxury. Notice that the gate is also a symbol of power. To come inside, you have to be invited in. The person behind the gate has the power to determine who comes in or who doesn't. In other words, the rich man had power and privilege, and he held on to it. He did not invite this poor man to share in this power. Lazarus did not have access in the same way that the rich man had. He was hungry, powerless, and marginalized. The rich man passes this powerless man every day and goes into a position of power. There are different ways to identify the power structures within a society. Take, for example, a fictional country called Extopia. And in this country, if you wear jeans, you are considered a part of the elite class. You get preferential treatment when you go to restaurants, 
when you go to the airport, people allow you to cut in line. If you have genes, you are in the elite class. Now, 80% of this population in Extopia can afford to wear jeans. 20% cannot afford to wear jeans. The 20%, because they don't have access to what the 80% has access to, is considered to be on the outside of the gate. Jesus is saying, I want you to consider the 20%. I want you to consider those sitting outside of your gate. I think of our power structures today and those who might be ignored and sitting outside the gate. Those people in a town or society who are physically hungry, wounded, and crying out for help. I think of those in a society who are emotionally wounded and need relief. And they need more than just crumbs. They need people who will step from outside of their gate and help. Have we become too comfortable, too absorbed with ourselves? When we are focused on ourselves, it's hard to see others. Who is on the outside of your gate? Is it people who have fewer degrees than you? Those who speak differently from you? Those who are divorced? Or maybe those who have contrasting political views? Who is on the outside of your gate? Jesus is saying to us, stop and pay attention. Finally, the third warning is to not love the world. The rich man chose the world over the word. He had ample time to study and be guided by the word of God. He was familiar. In the parable, he calls Abraham father. Abraham, in this parable as well, speaks of Moses and the prophets. And this represents the word. The rich man pleads for his five brothers, knowing that like him, they had rejected the principles found in the word. He wants Lazarus to come back from the dead to convince them. But Jesus said, no, if they were not convinced by the word, meaning Moses and the prophets, then they will not be convinced even if someone comes back from the dead. Now that is a serious condition to be in. That your heart is so hardened that even if someone were to come back from the dead, you would not believe. Also, understand that Jesus was saying that the word of God should have been enough. There was enough in there to teach, guide, and lead them to a better life in the here and now with eyes on eternity. But they rejected the precious treasures. Their hearts were hardened. 
our immersion into the world can cause us to lose sight of the heavenly value system. We can become so seduced by the world, the temporal, that it becomes more important to us than the word, the eternal. These two rival systems have different priorities and values. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis writes this, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening of circle acquaintances, his sense of importance and growing pressure of, of, of absorbing an agreeable work builds up in him a sense of being really at home in earth. The eternal value system focuses on a relationship with God, building character, having a t- integrity, seeking God's approval, and serving others. This leads to living with purpose and wisdom and having a fulfilling life. It requires faith because of that which is unseen. The world says you're wasting your time. But Jesus says, this is how you spend your time. I came to set you free from the chains of temporal living, the focus of the now, 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 and self-gratification. I came to give you a better life here and now and hope for the future. The purpose of this parable is not to cause fear. It reminds us today that our decisions matter. It reminds us that we can be free from the love of money, self, and the world. I'm in my 30s, and I've been thinking a lot of a lot about life and how we may have 80 to 90 years on this earth. I've been thinking about, though, that we were created for eternity. So this is one of the reasons that death feels so unnatural. We were created for eternity. Some people live to be 100 years old. And even when their families say, you know, this person had a good life and they led a full life, the family still feels a sense of loss, that there wasn't enough time. They wanted more time with their loved one. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, he has made everything appropriate in his time beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the, begin- from the beginning even to the end. 
80 to 90 years compared to eternity is but a blink. The charge for us through this parable is to live those, those years well. It is asking us, how do you spend your time? The good news is that if you are watching this, it's not too late. What is God asking you to do? Reevaluate your relationship with money? Seek those who are on the outside of your gate? Or end your love affair with the world? It's up to you. How do you want to live? How do you want to spend your time? Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.